Welcome to the My Psychology Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Pomerantz, and I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. I also happen to be the author of the My Psychology textbook from Macmillan Learning. In each episode of this podcast, instructors from various colleges and universities join me to talk about the most important and most interesting parts of the chapter to help you understand and appreciate them. As we do, we will share some stories about our own experiences with concepts from the chapter from inside or outside of the classroom. Okay, today I am happy to be joined by two other instructors who teach the Intro Psych class using this My Psychology textbook. One of them is Deborah Roberts. Uh, she is a professor of psychology and the chair of the psychology department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Hi, Deborah. Hey, how are you? Okay, thanks for joining us. And we're also joined by uh, Stephen Bonnet, who is a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston, Texas. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Good, thanks for joining us. So here's a quick summary of chapter 14, Psychological Disorders. The chapter begins with a consideration of what's abnormal, how we decide or define what counts as a psychological disorder, and the factors that may cause abnormality, like biological, psychological, and social factors. It then describes the DSM, or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the book that psychologists in the United States use for the definitions of the psychological disorders. The rest of the chapter focuses on disorders in various categories, explaining what they are, who gets them, and why they develop. There are the anxiety disorders, like generalized anxiety disorders, specific phobias, and panic disorder. Depressive and bipolar disorders, including major depressive disorder. Eating disorders like bulimia, anorexia, and binge eating disorder. Schizophrenia. Disorders of childhood like ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. Dissociative disorders like dissociative identity disorder and personality disorders like borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. So let me ask you, uh, Deborah and Stephen, let's start with you, Deborah. What is one topic within this chapter that is especially important to you? I think a lot of times, you know, we can be our own worst nightmare, like we think we have everything. So I think it's important for students to understand that the disorders we're talking about occur in the general population when it's not in an extreme. So what we're talking about are behaviors that you might find in everyday life. Like you might be scared of snakes, but that's a, you know, a lot of people are afraid of snakes, but when it gets to the point where it's extreme and debilitating and so forth, it becomes a phobia, which is a psychological disorder. So I think it's important for them to focus on the four uh, things that you point out in the textbook, Andy, whether something is rare or infrequent in the society, whether it causes personal distress, whether or not it's inappropriate behavior, like if you know you're running down the street naked. If if you're at a nudist camp, <laughs> that's normal behavior. But if you are just in your regular society, you know you're coming to class. I think I'd be a little startled if you showed up naked. Uh, so whether it's inappropriate in your daily life, and then of course if it deviates from from the social norms. So I think focusing on the the things that we use to distinguish normal from abnormal behavior is really important. I I definitely agree with that. Using and explaining, I usually try to open up. You know, when I talk about diagnostic criteria and symptoms, one I'm I'm always very like strongly emphasizing that uh you know symptoms are not a, are not the disorder you may have stress everybody has stress you, you you all have anxiety right that's how you know if you have anxiety about paying the rent that's how the rent gets paid so don't think that because you have anxiety that means you have a disorder really what it boils down to is 
we're going to talk about a lot of stuff throughout this chapter and depending on who's teaching the class you know they may this may be in their wheelhouse they may this may not be but either way the most important thing is don't web md yourself with this chapter you don't have enough information to make any kind of diagnosis i have a a personal pet peeve and I, i'm very upfront about this in my class when i say self-diagnosis does not happen you cannot be objective about yourself in that way so you know that's that's probably the first thing that i'm i'm really really like a hammer on that like don't leave here thinking you have everything just because some of this sounds familiar and i also focus on a lot of the social stigmas that surround mental health mental health treatment and and just our general understanding of of what a mental health disorder is and that's why i explain the difference between you know everybody having anxiety and then disordered anxiety everybody having some form of sadness or depression at some point in your life situational depression and full blown major depression I really try to help them dispel a lot of the stigmas about getting treatment for it too. I try to be very realistic with them about what treatment usually entails for certain disorders and and what they might expect from you know seeking treatment for certain things. Yeah, I think that's really important. The, the topic of um, medical student syndrome, which comes up at the very beginning of this chapter. And just kind of um, forewarn students, like, hey, when you read about these different disorders, you might initially think, that's me. I've, I, I, ha I have that. And I think students can, be, can jump to that conclusion a little bit too quickly sometimes. At the same time, I don't want to be dismissive. If there are obviously students who will have serious psychological problems, and we don't want to say that nobody, is, that nobody who reads this textbook is going to have any problems. Obviously, that would be... Um, a mistake and, and would be irresponsible on our part, but we don't want them to be oversensitive to it. So such that they're reading through this chapter and then, you know, over and over again, thinking I've got that and I've got that and I've got that because odds are that it's not true. And, and there's an important element to each one of these diagnoses when they are formally listed in the DSM in a book that has more space for detail of the diagnoses than this introductory psych textbook does. And that is that the, the symptoms of the disorder have to be so significant so severe that they are debilitating in some way that they are that they really get in the way of the person's life um their work life their their home life their social life i hope that when students read the chapter they they don't forget about that uh, that just an occasional presence of some of these symptoms uh is not enough to, to fully uh, uh warrant the diagnosis and I'm also very careful to explain to them. Yeah. Well, this kind of ties into some of the first one. I, I you know, I, I talk about the big mark symptoms of, of certain disorders. Uh, there are also certain disorders that I think that students tend to use or understand interchangeably, mainly schizophrenia, bipolar, and dissociative identity disorder, or multiple personalities. And I, I try to make it a point to hit on all three of those and explain these are very different things. You know, they sound similar, but they're not. The disorders that make for great suspense movies, those those are usually the ones that I try to focus on and be like, okay, well, you know, you always get, you know, questions whenever you talk about this. Like there was a movie recently, again, I'm not sure if we can name drop movies or something on this, but either way, there's a movie that prominently displayed dissociative identity disorder uh, in a supervillain by a director who really loves to make things twisty by the end of the movies. So I'm sitting there in the theater thinking, wow, I'm going to get a lot of questions about this movie as I was watching it. And then sure enough, you know, the following semester, is it like that movie with the guy with the multiple personalities. And I was like, no, it's, it's, it's not actually 
And so uh, kind of dispelling a lot of the the misconceptions about what schizophrenia is, what dissociative identity disorder is, dis bipolar, uh, even obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, there's a lot of people who, are, who will, uh, you know, say, oh, well, I like things very neat and tidy in my house. So I'm very OCD. And I, I have to, you know, I, I, I spend time focusing on on that kind of thinking just because I think that that diminishes the experience of people with OCD, for one, but it's also just a misunderstanding of what it actually is. Yeah, I think one of the most important elements of the definitions of the disorders or the descriptions of the disorders that, that this chapter features is, is showing students what the disorder is not. Because so often they, they, they come into the class with a, a preconception or a misunderstanding of what the disorder is, especially if it's a widely known disorder. Bipolar would definitely fall in that category. ADHD, I think, falls in that category. Depression falls in that category where people people use the term a lot and often think they know what it means. But my hope is that when they read through um, these descriptions in the textbook, they students will realize, oh, it, it's not what I thought it was. And maybe maybe specifically think it's not pretty strict criteria or pretty significant criteria that a person has to meet before they can be diagnosed with this disorder rather than it being like so casually or loosely thrown around that it could apply to almost anybody. Let's take a quick break here and when we come back, we will continue talking about chapter 14, Psychological Disorders. The My Psychology Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad from Macmillan Learning. When I wrote My Psychology, I wanted students to maximize their connection to the science of psychology, and Launchpad does just that. It's the one place where you can find the full ebook of My Psychology, features like My Take videos, chapter apps, and show me more links, and Macmillan's full library of resources, including videos, flashcards, concept practice activities, and more. Best of all, Launchpad includes the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System, designed based on cognitive research to improve your learning and help you retain information over time. In addition, the Learning Curve algorithm chooses questions based on your performance, delivering a quiz that is unique to you. If you aren't using Launchpad already, you can sign up for a free trial right now. That's right, you can get 21 days of free access right now by visiting launchpadworks.com and searching for my psychology that's launchpadworks.com sign up now for your 21 days of free access and start studying with the learning curve adaptive quizzing system Welcome back. We are here discussing chapter 14 psychological disorders in the my psychology textbook my name is Andy Pomerantz. I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, and I'm also the author of the My Psychology textbook. And with me today is Deborah Roberts. She is a professor of psychology and the chair of the psychology department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And we're also joined by uh, Stephen Bonnet, who is a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston, Texas. So another topic that I wanted to bring up from this chapter 14, the chapter on psychological disorders, is, is the DSM itself, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and how it gets created and revised. My sense is that a lot of students who take intro psych have never really thought about that. There's just sort of this assumption that, you know, the experts have defined the psychological disorders and this is what they are, and there's no questioning of that. Sort of like the, the definition has been sort of handed down from the mountain and... And this this is what the psychological disorders are. 
But the truth of the matter is that it's very different. It's, it's, it's a group of people. It's a group of experts who originally back in the 1950s got together and wrote the first DSM, defining what the, what the various psychological disorders are, and then who periodically since that time have come together to revise it. And they make different decisions at different times. And things that were at one time considered mental disorders are no longer considered mental disorders. But more often, things that were at one time not considered mental disorders are now considered mental disorders. It can't all be reduced down to uh, precise science, and that that process of judgment and decision making has been criticized a lot. In more in in more recent years, especially with the most recent DSM DSM five, which came out in twenty thirteen, there were a number of critics who said it this this thing includes includes new disorders that we probably or I'll say maybe shouldn't have shouldn't have included as disorders. There's controversy and criticism behind these these decisions made by the DSM authors. Absolutely. And it's important to emphasize, you know, something doesn't have to be a, a defined disorder in order for it to be a difficult or disruptive experience to a person's life. And and I think that, you know, what, what you're saying about how, how the DSM is essentially like it, it is essentially a living document. It is something that we're, as we learn more about how certain experiences play out, we're better able to define them and and change our understanding of them as time goes on. That doesn't change the the core purpose of it, which is to help people going through a difficult experience or a disruptive experience. I try to say, you know, this is not. Let's demystify some of this. So, if you see some of these symptoms, you're not you're not diagnosing. But it's not something to kind of freak out about. You know, people are trying to diagnose family members and roommates and so forth. And I try to say that, you know, some of this will happen. So it's not your job to diagnose, but to really understand that it is indeed a disease and a disorder. When I was an undergrad, a couple of my really good friends in my my close social circle had what we would call back then breakdowns. And, you know, I was the budding psychologist volunteering at, you know, major psychiatric institutes. I wasn't in a position to diagnose, but I was one of the few who went to visit them and so forth. So one, you know, had classic symptoms of bipolar disorder at the time, um, and we saw the progression. And then the other person ended up being diagnosed as, I think, uh, paranoid schizophrenic. They're both doing well now. So I just really use the the whole introduction of the DSM and the system of diagnosing or, or at least classifying symptoms of these disorders as a reality check. As rare as some of this is, if in the event, the unfortunate event that you have somebody around you who's going through this, there is a way to diagnose and understand it and subsequently treat it. So, It also helps students build empathy for the people who experience these these things you know if they have a family member who has bipolar ocd or something pretty severe that's disruptive to the entire life of the family it is helpful and that is a really interesting moment that comes up in class whenever especially if they're willing to share experiences you know there have been plenty of times where students have shared experiences either their own or somebody that they knew a family member or something about a particular disorder and were able to have a conversation about them and i'm able to say oh, okay well do you see a little more about maybe what is going on here and help them understand that it's not you know it, if if it's something like bipolar disorder you know, like you can pull up you know image brain imaging and like okay well this is what's going on 
in in a person's brain whenever they're having you know a manic episode or a depressive episode and can you see how it would be difficult to navigate this as a person if this is what you're experiencing cognitively yeah so just in my past experience uh, in in a practicum in graduate school you know working in a, a student counseling center um a lot of students were coming in with the assumption that they had one of these disorders usually it was adhd because it directly related to their grades their grades were slipping they were getting they were in harder classes they weren't used to or they were using study habits that they were used to or lifestyle habits that they were used to you know i would i would explain to them there are a lot of uh, common symptoms across the board with a lot of these disorders, ADHD being one of them, but post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety disorders, uh, even bipolar, there are common symptoms, you know, lack of energy, sleep disturbance, weight gain, weight loss, appetite changes, a lot of behavioral things that fluctuate that can be due to general stress. And it leads a lot of students, every student experiences general stress, every person experiences general stress, you know, there's no no stress scenario for anybody's life unless you're dead. As the textbook mentions, binge eating disorder, the actual psychological disorder, was introduced to the DSM in DSM-5, which came out in 2013, which meant that if you, if you had a problem with binge eating prior to 2013, there was really no DSM diagnosis that specifically captured that. You might, you might have been diagnosed with nothing. After 2013, after the DSM-5 came out, the same person with the same problem might have been diagnosed with binge eating disorder. And it's interesting to see how people conceptualize their problem, whether they were diagnosed or not diagnosed. When it was, when it was a non-diagnosed problem, I mean, still a problem, but not an official diagnosis uh, of a mental illness, my sense was that people had much more, um, they felt like it was much more manageable. The same experience, the same problem that the person is having, but it, in one situation, it's labeled as a as a uh, full fledged official diagnosis, and in another one, it's not, and the person experiences that very differently. Yeah. All right. Well, big thanks to both Deborah Roberts from Howard University and Stephen Bonnet from San Jacinto College for joining us today. And thanks to you for listening. We hope this podcast helps you learn and appreciate the material in this chapter. Of course, you should check with your own instructor to see what's most important in your own class. And for more resources for studying this chapter, check out Launchpad at launchpadworks.com. Talk to you again soon.